Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I am Chick Bennett. And welcome to episode 100 of the North Meet South web podcast. And cue the music, Michael. Wow, we made it. We made it 100 episodes. Can you believe it? It's crazy. Unbelievable. Michael, I want you to cut in. I want you to cut in right here the audio of our very first intro ever. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it, and I can do that. It's it's dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Hi, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to our first North Mead South web podcast. How are you, Jake? Hey, Michael. How's it going? Good yourself? I'm doing well. Doing well. So uh, we wanted to spend uh, a couple minutes today just kind of introducing ourselves, let you guys know who we are, a little bit of our background, what we're doing, how we met, and uh, then talk about a couple of things that we're working on this week. I remember recording in a, in a room that was obviously not sound treated on the, on the little blue snowball microphone the yep. echo was terrible the arms were plentiful and we had no idea really what we were doing back then and yep. that was what 2016 uh, right, it's been a right while before, i'm looking it up right now yeah right before laracon louisville so it's cool it's cool that we've stuck it through and i know people still listen to us and things like that so it's 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 nice to be here and things have changed heaps in that in that five-year period for us professionally um, you know, I think you've added what one, two, ki- two, two kids in that mm. time, just one. Let's see, it was twenty sixteen. You said it was twenty sixteen. Mm. So two kids, yeah, I think so. Two kids mm. from that time. Yep. Yeah, we've we've each added two kids, uh, and uh, I think I've changed jobs about seventeen times in that five <laughs> five year period, and you've changed roles twice at least. So yes. Yes, it's been crazy. Yeah, we've got. Uh, I'm looking back at the show notes from episode one, and we're talking about um, Laravel cues, how serializes model traits works. Adam Wathen's refactoring to collections book had just come out at that point. Um, your nullable fields package, all sorts of good stuff, man. How we met? How we met? Yeah. Yep, that is how we met. I, I used the nullable fields package like it was going out of style. And, uh, yeah, I used it to death. I used it on every project. And then I would be like, Hey, Michael used your package again. Nice job. Way to go. Thanks so much for maintaining this. You're like, yeah, no problem, Mike. Good on you. And then, you know, eventually. <laughs> and I, I still maintain the package and it, and it still works in Laravel eight and it still works in PHP eight, but I don't know if it even has a place anymore. Cause I think, you know, Laravel's yeah, got, they, the, they've got it now. The yeah, the convert convert to null middleware that you can use. And the trim so, strings one, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it used to be a real problem. That package. Yeah, it used to be a real problem. Um, you could probably just like, yeah, it's a what are they? You could archive it or not? Maybe ar- not archive it, but um, what's it called? Like, you know, you can set it with like not actively maintained anymore. Yeah, I think because you really yeah, package just has it's just one option. It's like this package has been abandoned. Well, yeah. It hasn't really been an- abandoned. It was it was thoughtfully and lovingly. Center out to pasture, the sunset. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Went to the went to the farm. Sent the dog to the farm. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, it's it's been a it's been a good run, and uh, we're sad to inform everybody this will be the last episode. Because uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. We have at least one more because yeah. I already pre-recorded one. We've got one more. It's in with, the can. Um, yeah, and I said that I was going to edit that so that it'd be ready to go right after our hundredth episode. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have to to worry about things. Perfect. And yeah, uh, we're we're two weeks behind on our hundredth episode, and I still yep. haven't edited that <laughs> that interview. It's, so. Hopefully, it'll be a, pr- a pretty quick edit. I don't think there was too much to yeah. chop up. I think we both were pretty comfortable uh aaron runs his own podcast mm-hmm. so he's uh he's you know not yeah, in a podcast game so uh so anyway yeah that was mm-hmm. cool you know honestly as we kind of look forward to like what we would like this show to be in the future i i love you know talking and, and talking about all our challenges i would like to you know when we first did the show we had a lot of guests on right i remember being so stoked that we had adam wathen and taylor mm-hmm. on and uh frank and all those folks right i think we had to style for on at one point and Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to love to bring some people back on. Oh, I remember when we had Muhammad Syed. He's like, you know, layer of employee number one. We had him on to talk about stuff. And that was pretty uh-huh. cool, man. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, we'll see. Back in the day when we had to ride ride some coattails. Exactly. Now, <laughs> exactly. Now we, uh, now we just fly by the seat of our pants and, and hope for the best. And, and mostly <laughs> this is just for you and I to catch up and talk totally. about things. Because, yeah. you know, being on opposite sides of the world, especially now, um, kids and pandemics and things like that it's got just, it facebook has been facebook has been doing the memories thing and it's been showing memories of when aaron and i flew to louisville for yes the laracon in 2016 and it's been yes. showing memories of when re and i went in 2017 to new york and yeah that and was trip fun that we took there you know through chicago and washington and and florida around laracon and and now you know every time every day something comes up from from that trip <laughs> God knows how you guys got all that stuff now. through customs, man. I have no idea. You guys brought so much stuff from customs for everybody. We had a like, suitcase that was you just did. yeah, food. You had enough Aussie, uh, our paraphernalia. Yeah, you had all that Vegemite and you had mm-hmm. like, you know, different like candies and you had we I just used the um you gave me in a little Australia like cooser cooler thing, whatever. I used mm-hmm. used that to the, the other day for some for uh, going fishing, we put worms in there. Sorry, it's, nice. I don't know if that's what it was intended <laughs> for, but hey, it's small and it's a little cooler. And so I was like, "Oh, Michael gave me this. Let's use this." Um, <laughs> yeah, but you guys had all sorts of cool stuff. You even had, I think you even had like presents for my kids and stuff. Like they had big yeah. coloring books and coloring books. Yeah, that was super mm-hmm. fun. That was some Australian flags, and it was funny because they actually were studying Australia at school during that time as well. I think, mm-hmm. or really, really close to that. And so I remember they, that. Uh, yeah, Graham was. Yeah. Yeah. And so they got to take some of that stuff to school and be like, yeah, I got all this stuff from Australia. I think there was a stuffed animal. Is this genuine, genuine stuff that we got from Australia that was made in China? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Exactly. As everyone's stuff is, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I remember the first time my kids saw saw like a made in China tech. They're like, dad, this is made in China. Like on the other side of the world, (laughs) it's like really from China. I'm like, yeah, buddy. Like everything's made in China. Mm -hmm. Oh my word. Um, Speaking of stuff made in China. Um, we went camping this weekend and before we went camping, you know, like I decided, Hey, let's take the kids to, it was just a boy's trip, just the, just the, the men of the family. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. went to Walmart and just went down the camping aisle and I was like, let's get a couple of things. And so the kids got like, you know, flashlights for like a dollar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But they come yeah. with batteries and everything. They just, you just pretty much like throw them away when you're done because you know, they're never going to turn yeah. on again. No, um, never going to work again. Yeah, exactly. But that was, that was fun. Um, my, uh, my kids, my, my oldest kid has really been into fishing, huge, huge mm-hmm. into fishing. 
um, he caught like a 12 inch bass and that was the end of it. It was like every day. Now he wants to go fishing every day. <laughs> and so while we were camping, I had to teach him how to take a fish off the hook. So it's like fun catching them. It's not quite as fun having yeah. to grab the fish and then no, take the hook out. Right. Slipping around, wriggling around. They want to get out of there cause they got a hook in their mouth. Yep. You got it. And so, um, <laughs> he's been working on that. And so that was cool. So he went today with a friend and caught 25 bluegill and two turtles. Not on purpose, the turtles, wow, but two turtles, two turtles. Yeah, if you can imagine that. So that's been uh, that's right. been pretty cool. Like my kid's getting old enough to like go, you know, ride his bike down to the pond with his buddy and fish. I remember like mm-hmm. dreaming of this day when I was, you know, when we had young kids and I see people with like, you know, kids, it's just like, you are the entertainment. And like it will come someday. It'll be like, hey, buddy, go play with your friends and just be able to like mm-hmm. send them on their merry way on their bikes and go play for a bit. So that's been pretty cool. I mean, that's really just been a very recent thing, but uh, it's been pretty fun to watch that happening. It's been cool. Yeah. They've um, speaking of, of camping, uh, they've been advertising and I haven't, I haven't paid attention to the ad on the TV specifically. I think it was on during the Olympics or something where, you know, going camping with the family. And I, I looked at Ray and I said, there is no way that I'm taking <laughs> anyone camping because I would die. We would freeze. Nothing good would come of us going camping. I yeah. could get the tip. I, I went, you know, a handful of times when I was a kid, but it's just not something that interests me. I understand um, that. I, too, I totally understand that, yeah. I, I dread the day when Eli asked me, you know, he's excited to do something that he that he really wants to do and I really don't want to do. And it's like, well, you've got to give him the experience. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so God, he can if make any of his, his friends mind. ever tell him, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe you can go camping with your friends. You don't need me. I send him like, over, send I, him over I, here. I we'll go camping with him. We'll take him. Yeah, and, and like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and buy a tent and all this stuff, or I'm going to borrow someone else's stuff. For, uh, it's just, that, that is the thing. It's, it's like, a you have to have, you have this, like, you hit this, like, critical mass of, like, you have enough stuff now to go camping on your own. Like, you kind of have to go with friends until you get enough stuff. Mm. So, like, you get the yeah. tent, but then it's, like, the sleeping bags. But then it's, like, if you don't have a mat to sleep on with the sleeping bags, then it's, like, you're super yeah. uncomfortable. And then it's, like, you got to have something to do while you're there. So you got to have the equipment to start mm-hmm. fire. And then like, you got to have the equipment to like cook food over that fire. And then it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just all those things. And it's like, it, you'd be a crazy person to buy all that stuff to go one time. Right. So you do, mm-hmm. you kind of have to like mooch off friends until you, uh, if you, you, you remember Jordan Brill, he's got every, mm-hmm. everything known to man, like every camping yeah. tool you'd ever want. He's got all of them. To- probably got two mm-hmm. of them. And, uh, you know, he's the same kid guy who gives his kids like machetes to go around the campsite and whack stuff with, right? He's just a crazy yeah. man. And so we went with them a couple of times. Then we got enough stuff to go on our own. So, yeah, it's been it's mm. been fun. We've gone a couple of times this summer. But uh, yeah. I was curious. Do you guys have like, you know, did you, did you go fishing as a kid ever like over there? Yeah, I used to I used to go fishing with my dad and we'd go. Uh, we've got like a giant man-made lake here. Like near us, there's the okay. river. Um, I, I went fishing on a boat once, got seasick, didn't do oh, that no. again. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's different than like fishing off so, the shore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we've got jetty. I, I live right by the beach, so we can go off the oh, jetty nice. and things like that. But there's everyone there. It's funny though. We went. The, those catch like the, they catch a big fish out there though, right? I mean, like off the off mm. the big. I'm guessing the jetty is like the pier, like the big long pier that goes out into the mm. ocean, right? Is mm-hmm. that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. And so they probably catch pretty big yeah. fish out there, huh? Not really, because where where we are, it's kind of we're not we're not open ocean. Oh, okay. Here. Are you like a bay? Because we're, we're kind of like because we're we're at the bottom gotcha. of Australia, so it's kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've seen the map, we're we're at the bottom bit there. We're just kind of enclosed. We don't have open ocean. We get insulated from a lot of that. So not not off the jetties. It's not the ones here. 
that I know of, would you catch, you know, big fish? We went probably about a month ago just for a walk because it was a nice afternoon. We had some sun. So we went down the jetty and there was a guy there. And there's like heaps of people fishing off the jetty, but there was just this one guy. And every time he cast his line, he'd reel in another fish. And they were like oh, man. You know, little fish. So he was throwing them back. But every time, everyone else is just standing there catching colds. And this guy's out there just pulling in every fish in, in the vicinity. So... Um, so, you know, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's just, you know what you're doing versus others. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I, I, I used to enjoy going and I like, I remember going with my dad and always being like, dad, dad, I want to go fishing. And then, you know, when you're little, you've got the attention span of something that doesn't have a very long attention span. So you, you all this effort, you get all the stuff ready, you go, we used to go and get like little baby crabs. Yeah, um, sure. So we'd go squelching around there to get crabs for, for bait and things like that. And then, then we'd go fishing. And you'd, I'd be there 10 minutes, but like down on board <laughs> kind of thing. So it would be done. And it's like, I, uh, th- there are a lot of things that like I did with my dad that he did as a kid. Like we used to go mushrooming and things like that oh, that's fun. in the forest. And, and no, I hated it. And, and it's, it's like all of these things that I did as a kid that I'm like, they were experiences that I had with my dad, but I didn't enjoy them kind of thing. And it's like, as, as a dad, I'm like, well, I want to, do, you know, if Eli asks for something that's reasonable, I'm like, I'm not going to say no, but there's some things that I'm just going to dread doing, yeah. I think. You'll do them because um, you're a good dad, but not because you like doing them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's the fine line. Like, if he ever wants to play soccer, I'm going to be like, mm, don't know about that, mate. <laughs> soccer. You actually called it soccer. I'm impressed. Thank you. Well, what, what else would I call it? Don't you call it football? Don't you guys call it football? No. You we've got, football? we've got football. I know no, you, got, got you got footy. We've got football. You call it footy. Yeah, we've got football. Um, like and Australian then the soccer, football. futsal. Yeah. Okay. Although, yeah, and because my I didn't realize my Australians kids, call it soccer. I did not realize that. Yeah, yeah. My um, my sister and her. I don't. Well, she doesn't play anymore because she got injured. Um, she, all kinds of things. You know, old age comes for us all at some point. Indeed. Um, but you know, my sister and her husband they played, and all four of their kids play soccer and referee and things like that. And I'm like. Nah, and and then they call it futsal, and I'm like, don't don't call it futsal, <laughs> soccer. So it's funny. Um, yeah, no, I hope hope he doesn't pick up soccer because I have no interest in that. And basketball. you know, again, he'll pick up basketball. Like, you know, he will. It, it's the thing, like you know, you want him to do what he enjoys, but you kind of want to steer him towards things that you're not going to hate. You can both enjoy. My sister, sure. She's always like, yeah, my sister's always like, oh, I've got to go and sit in the car in the cold for like three hours while they play soccer and then because they they live regionally so sometimes they have to drive like two three hours just to get oh, to a game yeah that's tough um and they my my twin niece and nephew played yesterday and my sister messaged yesterday afternoon she's like they drew three all i'm like well that's <laughs> like kissing your sister <laughs> and Ree's like what the hell i'm like that's totally a saying I'm like, that's, you drive all that way and you, you end up in a draw. Like, it's a bit <laughs> underwhelming, isn't it? It's like kissing your sister. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, man, that'd be rough. That's a, that's a lot to... Uh, around here, it's like um, they do have uh, travel soccer leagues, but it's travel baseball. It's brutal. Just brutal. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I promised my wife will never do that because it's just... Yeah. You know, every weekend it's like, see you later. And then one person, one parent goes one way, yeah. the other parent goes the other way. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's, it's tough. Yeah, and so. there's four of them. And there's four exactly. of them. So they'll go. Like the elder two, the oldest, he's, he'll be, he'll be 20 in October. And he, he like, he drives so he can take himself. And then the the second one, he's old enough. He's got his P's, and, uh, his 
P's is like you get the learner's permit, then you get a provisional license. So I don't know what driving, getting your license is like in America, but here you've got, you have to have your learners for something. Well, when I did it with six months, I think now you have to have it for like a year and you have to have a hundred hours of, yeah, it's similar of here. log driving and things like that. And then you get provisional license, which allows you to drive by yourself under restricted uh, yes. conditions. Like you can only go a certain speed. You can't like you can't have anyone in your car after right. midnight. You're not. I think you're not supposed to be driving after midnight unless you're coming back from like work or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you work the night night shift at Macca's, and then you get your license. So he's he's on his P's and he drives himself around. And then the the younger two, they'll be thirteen next month. I think thirteen or fourteen. And so um, there's oh, this the twins chauffeured around. So yeah, twins, oh, gotcha, boy and a girl. Gotcha. Okay, that's fine. So yeah, my sister made the terrible mistake of trying to have a third child and ended up with four. Uh, so <laughs> that's going to be you guys. Friend, uh, that's going to be you guys. Yeah. Go for it, no, Michael. Not you at got all. it. Yep, uh, no, you got it. Yep, you got it. You can do it. I've, I've, made, I've made the appointment for the human vet already. I'm going to see him in a couple of weeks. So. Oh, my. No, not messing yeah, about You know that. what? You guys have two beautiful so, children, though. I mean, you know, just be happy. You know, yeah. it's like some people try and have kids for years and don't get to have any. You guys have mm. two beautiful, healthy children. Like, yeah. you know, no need, right? And I was Call just looking online that some guy was like, I don't remember who it was, Pete or something. And he was like, I'm 11 months into this thing and I can't imagine why anybody would ever want to have another child. And it's like, I get it. Like yeah. 11 months, like it's yeah. really depending on your situation. But I'm sure as mm-hmm. a parent of two now, you can kind of see some of the benefits of at least having one other one, allowing them to have a sibling, right? Like, yeah, they can it's grow up together and be like, oh yeah, mom now. and dad were crazy. Yeah. Like there's somebody else to relate yeah. with, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny watching them now. Now that Liv's kind of sitting up a bit and she's moving around and she's more aware of her her surroundings, she kind of like you see her looking at Eli and and they're like the two of them looking at each other and interacting with each other, and that's kind of cool. But I like we always said, yeah, let me let me get this right. <laughs> Reese said we're gonna have two kids, and I said we will have no more than two kids. But let's see how the first one goes. Yeah, uh, um, sure, there you go. And so, so she got her way. You know, Eli, yeah. yeah, Eli, like Eli. Was and is great, uh, but he took a long time to kind of settle into sleeping through the night. And so yep. he he had only just started sleeping through the night as Ree's insomnia sort of started to set in for her second pregnancy. And so Ree hasn't, hasn't had, had a full night's for like, sleep you know, for three years, years yeah. three and a half years, almost oh four gosh. years. Liv, in six weeks, Liv's going to be one. So, yeah, um, Liv, Liv's been getting, <laughs> Liv's a lot <laughs> better wife. now. I oh, know, and she doesn't do well on little on sleep, yeah, little sleep as it is, and yeah. you know, and she was like, "Oh, you know, I really miss being pregnant." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all the stuff after being pregnant, yeah, right, that, sure. you know, that gets you. It's you know, having to to wake up in the middle of the night and feeding right. and 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 expressing, and then you know, like you can't just sleep when you're tired. You've got to just power through it, kind of thing." Is she trying to convince and you to so, have another one? Is she like, let's do one? No, more. hell no. She no, no, no. She was the one that she went and got me the referral to the. She's like, let's go, let's go get this done. Let's get which, this done. Yeah, and so we did that in November, and then uh, we had we had a lockdown over Christmas, yeah, right. so it kind of got pushed into the new year, and then in the new year, the the doctor was like, they they were closed, and then I called them back, and then they're like, I'll leave a message, we'll call you back, and then suddenly six months later, I'm like, you know what? And it was a friend of mine. He's got two kids and they were, you know, trying to figure out what to do, you know, with the third, they were trying to figure out, do we buy an SUV or do we buy uh, a minivan? Are we going to send our kids to private school, public school? And then 
Um, he's like, oh, you know, if if we end up having twins, then I guess that takes the which private school out of the discussion and we're getting a minivan and then yeah, right. probably like a month later, he's like, this is what happens when you succeed too hard. And he's like, they're having twins. I'm like, uh, well, that's yeah. me booked in because I don't, I'm not running the risk of. Yeah. That, fine. Was, that I, was exactly I mean, us. And the thing is, well, going twins, going from but... none to one yeah. is is an adjustment because you mm-hmm. you know it's all new. Going from one to two is hard, but you've kind of been there before. Um, but going from two to three is is like a whole other thing, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not just adjusting what you have; it's looking to change what you have. Yeah, bigger house, different car. That's um, where we were at. Yeah, you know, yeah, zone defense. You, know, you have to figure out your finances. You, yeah, that's right. You go from man man to man to a, to a zone. Um, it, it just, it gets exponentially more difficult once you get to three, I think. And I said, this, this is enough. Like, let's just, we've got one each, uh, you know, we've got a boy and a girl. We can figure out how to do that and, and just, you know, you don't want to be outmanned or anything like that. Run in the break. So. Yep. No, I think it, basketball, I mean, basketball yeah, you guys are very blessed <laughs> for sure. Very blessed. So yeah. that's really cool. And they're both cute. And look, Eli looks exactly like me and mm-hmm. Liv looks exactly like Ray. So exactly. there's, there's no Spitting issues image. here. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, that's cool, man. Hey, um, I have a couple like programming related things I wanted to talk about. Today we should. Too. We're 20 yeah, minutes into we this. We should, should probably talk about something that um, our audience cares about. <laughs> yep. One item I'm going to say real quick is that i think eventually here i am going to have a permanent office in this house uh i'm taking over the spare bedroom i just like i told my wife i was like hey i think i'm gonna make that office she's like you definitely should do that i'm like okay let's do it (laughs) because that room gets used a couple you know three four maybe five times a year and uh Mm -hmm. it's just like it's right there like why don't i just use that room you know and so anyway i'm gonna start doing that um so i'm thinking about getting a murphy bed though you know what i mean those ones that like push up into the wall have you ever seen those oh yeah so like, I've, I've I've seen them in like movies. I know what they are. They like flip out of the wall and then they're a shelf or they just hide yeah. away behind a door. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly like that. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool because I'd like to be able to make it so that we could still use it for a spare room if we if somebody needed to. Um, yeah. But that I could have it set up as an office as well. So we'll see. I, I've got a couple. Mm-hmm. I got a couple things I need to plan through, but that'll be that'll be good. Um. I was going to bring up uh, that Knights of the Flexbox table. Have you seen that? Mm. Yeah, I, I I went through that the other day. What did you to think find. of it? Yeah, I thought so too. That's really that cool. So really well done. Yeah, really well. So Marcel uh, created that. The only thing I was thinking through on that was there was a couple of them where like you would make a change and it wasn't completely obvious that they that they changed. Because mm-hmm. there was like the red and the yellow and the blue. The only difference was like the little thing on the top of their head, like the little color on the top yeah. of their head. Yeah. So it's hard to tell some of them. So to be sure, like this is not a crit. I mean, it's a comment more than a criticism. It's awesome. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. But if they each one of the knights was like a different character looking, that'd be kind of cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like that'd be yeah. pretty interesting. If like the red ones were like a certain, like they were shorter and like, you know, bulky or something and the blue ones are taller yeah. and thinner. I don't know, something. Anyway. Make it Lord of the Rings themed and then you can have dwarves there and elves. There you and- go. See? And, See, and you, you should make a right ripoff version. Over just copy the source shoulder. code. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Just make a make a copy of his source code, and just switch out the sprites, and you'll be all set. No problem. Done. Done so that was so. really fun. There were some interesting things I learned about that. Um, so, flex wrap reverse was interesting. I don't really use that much, um, but it's like instead of wrapping from the top, so going. Uh, 
so like you have you know you have this with flexbox it will say um you know i'm just going to go i'm just going to keep them in a single row and i'll just adjust the sizes of them to make it so that it'll work but uh you can say flex wrap of course which will say oh okay i'll break them across lines but if you flex wrap reverse it basically starts them from the bottom right and then wraps them around the opposite way which was interesting. I've never seen that. So it's like mm-hmm. it starts at the end and then wraps them, fills them up from the opposite end, which was really interesting. So yeah. that was something I learned. Flex wrap reverse. Then there was the order, the order thing. So like on a particular item within a flex container, you can, and of course this is using Tailwind classes that I'm talking about. You could use just as easily use these things in like CSS, right? If you're just applying like an inline style or something like that. But with Tailwind, you have this order class. You can say order dash, and then you can specify where that item should be in the order of the items um, that are listed in that flex container, which is really cool because if you're doing responsive designs and you need to sort of switch around the order, um, you have complete freedom uh, to use whatever order you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, at whatever breakpoint. So it's pretty interesting. It's really, really cool. Um, so learned about that. So items or sorry, order dash, and then there was one other one, but I can't remember what it was. But it was any anyway. It yeah, was there, very. There cool. was the the, the self stretch and the the order, or like all that stuff that like, I never use because most of my layout is very much, um, you know, just justify between or yep, space yep. the you know space x space y, and I don't don't <laughs> don't dig too deeply. Sometimes I'll you know justify center item center done kind of thing. So. It's cool. It's cool that Flex is so flexible. Yeah, it really is. For for a lot of things, like I never find myself thinking, "Gee, how would I go about reversing these items?" Because I would probably, I, I I guess, if you wanted to reverse them on a different <laughs> breakpoint or something like that. But but generally speaking, like it's either top to bottom or left to right for me. On um, occasion, and I, you know, I don't do any right to left stuff. So on occasion, I'll do it where. Like, uh, you know, sometimes you'll want to do a website where you'll have image left, text right. And then on the next stripe, mm-hmm. you'll want to do image right, text left. Mm-hmm. Well, on the ones where I want to do image left, text right, what I typically want that to look like on mobile is I actually want the text to come first and then the image afterwards. First, yeah. Because I need the text, mm-hmm. the, the image is supporting the text at that point. Right. Yeah. And so in that case, what I'll do is like a mobile first design. I would do, you know, in my in my design, what I'll do is I'll have text and then the image, and that's mm-hmm. on flex call, whatever. And then when it's on desktop, it'll be flex row, but it'll be like mm-hmm. flex row reverse. And so yeah. it flips it, yep. uh, flips the order of them. And so that works pretty good most of the time. Um, but there are occasions where having that order would be really nice. Um, but when it gets too complicated like that, grid to the rescue. Grid is really freaking yeah. awesome. And uh, he needs to make grid, you know, knights of the grid table next. That'd be pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think I, I think uh, Marcel tweeted that the, they were looking at making a sequel that might be grid-focused. So it'd be interesting That's to cool. see what happens there. Yeah, I mean... Um, like, I say that I don't really use those things, but I I was just looking at when you were mentioning the, the whole flipping of things on mobile so that text always comes yeah. before images, I... I remembered back to when I was making some changes to the work website and I did actually use flex call reverse there. So yeah, I make myself make a lot out of myself. Yeah. So there's, so that's the question there. So you said flex call reverse. So 
In that case, do you typically lay it out for desktop and then you'll flex call reverse on mobile? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Is that just- it's just the way that worked out because the this the part of part of the work that I was doing was to make the website more mobile friendly because gotcha. it, it was that not at all. And, sure. and it's like, you know, it's five, six, seven, ten, I don't know, ten year old website. Yeah. That they've yeah. just like patched bits onto over time. So it, it, when they built it, mobile first wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Right. So it was like, okay, this is how it looks on desktop, and then let's patch in the the mobile stuff. So yeah, definitely. In in that regard, and I think, well, you you did the Zen Ping Me website where we had the the uh, preview images and things like that. They were the same kind of thing, like text image, image text, yes, text right. image, and so you know. But I think you used Grid for that. I might have. Memory. I used Grid in a couple yeah. places, and then I used um, Flex in a couple places. Man, I mm. really miss doing like I haven't. I don't know. I haven't done a ton of that recently. There was a recent, there was a project not too long ago that I was using all that stuff on, but like those space utilities that you just brought up are so freaking handy. I totally forgot about that. Like SpaceX, space Y, those are so nice to use. Um, But I got, I really got really into grid for a little bit there when Mm. I was working on the Mm. then ping me stuff. And then I just fell out of it. Like I, I haven't used it in a while, but man, it's powerful. It's really, really good stuff. Yeah. So pretty cool. Um, I was also going to talk about testing validation. So um, you have a request that's coming in and Mm -hmm. you have validation rules that are going to run against a request that comes in. Personal preference, do you typically test those validation rules or do you just kind of say like, man, I mean, like it's, it's going to validate, right? It's there it is. It works. Um, I don't, I don't typically test the rules. I test the behavior, if that makes Mm, sense. So I'm going to, I'll have the rules and then I'll just make, you know, post requests to endpoints and expect that certain validation errors are there, but I won't test the rules themselves. So, Um, so how do you test? So like, I guess what I'm saying is like, do you test the validation? So like, for example, will you make a request that says it fails with an invalid email? And then you put an invalid email in and just make sure that the validation rules are. You will do that? Mm. Okay. Mm. So you do you typically But have... not for like every validation rule. Sure. Okay. So like what... what Edge um... casey things. Anything that's like require if or require unless. Like okay. those weird rules that are easy to get wrong. Yes. That, you know, I will typically get the parameters wrong or I'll, in, you know, refer to the wrong fields or something like totally. that. Anything that's kind of business critical anything that is generic like make sure there's a name or make sure there's you know any of the required stuff it just you, you can get out of hand and you can use data sets and things like that in your test to to basically but then you're then you've got a one-to-one mapping and you're coupling your test to the validation yes that like you have a name required and so then in your test you have a data set that is name required and then you don't you know you omit the name and then you get back a required thing um and so you are just at that point, coupling your test to your implementation of of the validation rules, and I don't I don't think necessarily that provides a lot of value, um, especially that you know because that means the next person that comes in there or you in six months you're like oh right, we're gonna add this new validation rule but you might forget to update the data set or you might change something and then you test break well changing something in your test breaking is a good thing adding a new validation rule but then forgetting that forgetting you've the got this yeah. giant data set and then testing that kind of makes that kind of pointless. So, yeah, and again, but, um, it's like yeah. one of those things. So sometimes it's 
you don't know like, okay, you have a what if thing, right? So tests are good for multiple things. They're good for ensuring that you kind of have this green wall at your back. That's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to have a regression and I'm not going to like break stuff that's already in, in place, but it's also really helpful for figuring out what you're doing, right? So you're saying like, you know, in your test, if you're writing the test first, you say, if I pass this and I don't pass something here, validation should break, right? That's, that's how it should happen. I don't know how that's going to work yet, but that's how it should happen, right? You know the behavior, but you don't yet know the code that's going mm-hmm. to be written mm-hmm. to do that, right? Correct. The, the require with or require if or whatever is a perfect example. Like I, I use those, but every time I come mm-hmm. to them, I'm like, am I remembering how to use that right? Like, am I thinking about that correctly? And yeah. um, so like, I'll go look up documentation, but sometimes it's just as easy to just say like, oh, I'll just write a quick test, just stub out a quick test here. If this is here and this isn't, it should throw a validation error. And then I can just try it. Require mm-hmm. if this is this. Oh, yep, it broke. There we go. That's how it should work. Um, so there, you yeah, because you know, you know what your business logic is. You know that like this has to be set, and and if this is set, then this shouldn't be, or if this isn't set, this should be set. And so it doesn't matter what the specific string of rules are. You've got your behavior. You just make that test pass. And I think that's that's a lot more valuable than just doing a one to one mapping of of validation rules. Totally. So the reason I'm asking is because. I recently came across a post that was talking about this. They're like, how do you test validation stuff in Laravel? Do you test every validation rule? And so mm. there are arguments to be made to say like, yes, I want to test the, I want to test validation. And if it changes, I should have a test that fails because it's important that this validates this way, right? Like if some somebody else came in and you didn't notice that they removed the validation that said alphanumeric, but your database is relying on it being alphanumeric, right? You can't use like, mm-hmm. like a dash in there because you're using, or you can't use an underscore, because you're mapping a username to an S3 bucket that's going to store an avatar and underscores don't work in S3. So you can't use alpha, you can't mm-hmm. use anything other than alphanumeric, right? So, you know, like mm-hmm. in those specific instances, may, you know, maybe there is some value to having the tests there. Um, so that, that's, that's the question, right? So, but I, the, the way that they were suggesting that you do it is, is basically what you said. Um, you have a, just an integration test essentially that says I want to pass some faker data to a post request. And I should expect that if I have a name and an email that are both required, if I don't pass the name, it should come back with a uh, 403, I think is what it's, no, not 403. That's, that's unauthorized. I can't remember what 422. it is. 422. Thank you. It should come back with 422. Similarly with an email, right? If I don't send an email, it should come through as 422. Or if I send a bad email, it should come through as 422, right? So um, mm-hmm. you can do that, but then you have like this N plus one number of tests, the happy path plus all the bad paths, right? So that's quote unquote full coverage. Uh, but they don't, like you said, yeah. they provide like zero value. That's yeah. Or very little in any case, um, relative to the other parts of the application. Anyway, it's not very important. So you don't mm-hmm. want to spend a lot of time writing it, but it would be nice to have it there. Um, if you could do it really easily, right? And so Jason McCurry yep. has a blog post out there about form request validation. The one that I got to this one from was essentially su- suggesting what you said just a couple of minutes ago, which is like those data providers where you can pass in a, an array and then you could say, you know, as a secondary thing, you should say, assert that it's going to say email is invalid or this is, you know, assert, um, I think at the end of a post request, you could say assert response contains error, and then you can pass in the key that you think should be an error, mm-hmm. right? Um, so anyway, you could do it using those um, data providers, which Titan has a really good blog post on. But what Jason Mercury suggests 
and it's a trade-off for sure. But he suggests using form requests for all validation. So that's the this is the other half of the discussion, which is, do you use form requests? Do you have a rule where you say like, I will have up to two validation rules inside a controller, but if I have three, I'm going to break it out to a form request or... You know, do you do you kind of have a heuristic for what you adhere to when it comes to those sorts of things? I think I'm starting to prefer form requests more, if for no other reason than to just keep controllers light. Right. Um, some might argue that form requests mean that you've got tighter coupling to the framework going further into your application, like you've got more places where it's coupled. Whereas if you have a request validate inside of your controller, then at least all of that coupling is in the one place kind of thing. Yep. You know, you're referencing your form, you're referencing your validation there, you're referencing your model there. You know, you can do it all um, sort of, sort of in, in that one place. But you are coupling it to the framework. If you start using the form request, um, you know, you're spreading that out a little bit further. I don't particularly care about that myself because it's like if I'm going to change from Laravel to Cake or whatever, I'm going to rewrite the whole thing anyway. I'm not going to like port port bits of it piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Um, my heuristic for form requests used to be like if it's more than a handful of rules, if it starts to look busy, then pull it out. It's nicer, I think, to encapsulate all of that because it's essentially middleware, right? You've got authorization, validation, and any manipulation of the request happens kind of in that form request. And it gives you a nice place to encapsulate where where typically the flow is going to be like accept some data from the request, authorize that the request user is allowed to do anything with it, validate that the data is correct, and then throw it into the database. So it gives you a nice place as well to encapsulate the like four model or four database or two database like create a method on the request right that once all of that passes you can just uh, essentially transform the request data from that point and that way your um your form request or your sorry your controller method is basically injecting using dependency injection to hit type hint the the form request the authorization is done the validation is done and then all you need to do in, in your controller method is like model create, you know, dollar request arrow to model, and then return your response, and it, and it keeps that you know the controllers are very compact. Yes. Yep. Um, and anything that's going to happen on the request happens in the form request object. Correct. Yeah. And that way you're kind of encapsulating all of that request behavior to the request yeah, object, exactly. Rather than doing you know validation in your controller and because the controller traditionally in a traditional sense is like it should just be routing things you know getting some input and putting it into a database and then returning a response right rather just than gluing the you know doing together. the validation yeah. correct right yeah um and so i i i think i've been preferring the form request more recently just to kind of keep it's it's tricky if you're using livewire because it doesn't really support requests um in that regard, like if you're posting something, you're calling a method on a on a LiveWire component. But but broadly speaking, I think form requests probably better, unless it's like a small app where you're just trying to um, uh, what do you call it? Um, you're just trying to prototype something. Sure, wrap sure, it, it wrap it all in a controller, right? Yeah, because yeah, 
if you're just trying to get a proof of concept together, there's no point like splitting all these things out because you don't know if you're going to need it or if you, you know if there's another approach. Like the the action pipeline stuff has become fairly popular recently. You know, since Jetstream came out, that that gets a, a good run around and. And so that might be more appropriate for your application beyond the proof of concept phase and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think I think if you if you're just trying to throw something together just to see if it works, then sure, just shove everything into the um, into the controller if you've got an established application. Uh, and certainly in my last job, I was I was doing more of this towards the end was just like form requests for everything because it just tidied things up, and made them a little bit more easy to work with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and um, I really do like the idea of custom methods on requests. The only time where that gets a little bit messy is if a person who's coming in doesn't realize that they're, you know, that the request in the controller is type hinting a custom request, and then they see some method on a request, and they're like, oh, that must be a Laravel thing. And it's like, well, I mean, it is, but it's like a form request mm-hmm. thing, right? It's a method on the form it's request. A, yeah, it's a Laravelism. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um. Interestingly, though, so so Jason basically says, yes, you have. So if you want to test this way, you have to use form requests. Uh, mm-hmm. But then what he says is you basically only have to have, ever have to have two tests to test this out. So the first test, all it does is it asserts that you're using the correct form request object. So it just says, hey, check that when I call the newsletter subscription controller and the store request that it's using the newsletter store subscription class as the request, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it should be using. Mm-hmm. So that's test number one. That's all the controller has to care about is that it's using the correct form request. Test is done. That's that one, right? The second test you have to write, and this applies no matter how many validation rules you have, you can have 15 validation rules. You still only have to write two tests. The second test, what it is, is it's a, in this case, it would be a store newsletter subscription test, which this is going to, this is going to test your form request object. And all it does mm-hmm. is it basically has an assertion that says, call the rules. So give me the rules. And here's what the rules should be. And as long as the rules are the same, test passes. The point being, what you said is, it's not really our job to test that the framework works, Right. They yeah. have tests mm-hmm. to make sure that when you get an email and you put email validation, it's going to do that correctly. They have tests Correct. to make sure that when you say alphanumeric, it's going to work as an alphanumeric. You don't have to come mm-hmm. up with examples of like, how is a broken email look? Okay, let's do that and let's make sure that it's working. You don't need to do that, right? All you mm-hmm. need to do mm-hmm. is validate that what's in the form request is what you're expecting it to be. So all you really have to do is you just basically say, here's what it is. Is the form request that? And if it is, they match up, test is done, right? So that's it. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's, there are, um, you know, there are complaints. There are things that you'd say like, well, if you change anything, you're going to have to change the the test. But if you're going for 100% coverage, you're always going to have to do that no matter what. So the mm-hmm. question then becomes, well, mm-hmm. which is easier to do? This for me seems by far way easier. And since you're also going to have another test uh, class, because you're going to be testing the form request object you have a spot to test all those little methods that you're going to be using uh, on your form request object instead of trying to get into the controller method, right? If you're doing some fancy switching around of request stuff in the controller, instead of having to try and do some integration tests to get all at that piece, mm. you just have your form request test and you can test this little public method that you have on there if you care to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it just seems really nice. And I read this article last week. I was like, that makes such good sense. And so, 
Mm. I shared it with our team. And I was like, I think this is the way we're going to start doing this moving forward. It just seems really, mm. it encapsulates all those tricky little pieces that are, it can be difficult to test or that, a lot, you know, to be fair, actually don't get tested a lot. They, they just mm. sort of like, well, we're just going to assume this is always going to work until it doesn't work. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I'll, we'll, we'll share the note or we'll share the, uh, the article in the show notes. I figured, yeah. you know, hundredth episode, we probably should talk at least a little bit about uh, some code stuff. So, yeah. yeah, there's that one. There's the, um, that one. <clears throat> just just on like writing tests to to validate that the framework works. I've been I've been on a tear with NPing me lately, just doing things that are kind you of have been been. sitting there that <laughs> that I've yes, been wanting to to get done with. And um, ping, one of those things two in the morning. Is, ping. Oh, Michael's working. <laughs> yep. Ding. He's got another pull request in. Michael's yeah. killing it. All right. It's been good. It has been, and, been and doing like, great. I said at the I said at the start of the show that like you know, Eli's sleeping through the night and Liv is starting to sleep better. Like we'll put it put her down at seven thirty eight and then she'll sleep until about eleven and then from eleven she might wake up again about three, but most of the time she's sleeping through the night. Um and so it's giving me a bit of time after the kids go to sleep to to actually sit down and, and do some work on then ping me. So um the the bit that I've been working on at the moment is is ripping out all of our custom subscription stuff that we had. So we when we built then ping me, we we chose not to use Spark because we wanted, you know, we wanted to own the design for lack of a better term, because I mean it's a Tailwind UI thing, but we wanted to own the design as much as possible and have control over it. So we didn't want the the site or the, you know, the user side of things to to look like spark and then the new version of spark came out and we'd already shipped you know months ago before spark came out all of our billing stuff and we were using the the stripe billing portal and the stripe customer portal to manage all of that kind of stuff and we started down the path of like giving users the ability ability to modify their plan from within our own thing but now that the the new spark is out i i started back in february (laughs) convert when it when it came out i started to convert over to spark and and kind of sat there and and when i picked it up again this week i'm like most of this is already done so i don't don't have to worry about it but it was still it was still like the the separate portal like it was click billing and it would take you to another page which is which is well designed and it looks great and all that kind of stuff but it it kind of disjoints from the experience of using like then ping me so Freak actually put out a post some time ago where they converted Odea to use Spark and and how to go about that. And so um, it's, it boils down to publishing the assets from Spark, um, removing the sidebar, putting it into our own layout component or layout, you know, um, blade view, and then it's done. And then it came to all of our tests broke because I started deleting things you know all of the things that tested like how to that that you could change a plan and that certain things happened after a plan change and things like that dispatching jobs that that don't exist anymore and so now i'm like into minds because we have a whole bunch of this functionality that was tested to make sure that it functioned because we'd written all of that stuff ourselves that we would send a request to stripe and then stripe would send us a webhook and then we would intercept you know we would process that webhook fire a job which would then go and update the the subscription record on our end all of that stuff is now part of Spark. So I have all these tests that are broken and I'm just trying to figure out how much of that I need to test as like behavior that is part mm. of our application yeah, and how much of that is like 
um, you know, when I change the plan, the plan should change kind of thing. Because right. I just, you know, the assumption now is that Spark handles Spark that, Spark is tested, right. all of that, all of that works. So we just test like around the edges of, of that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of where I'm at now and kind of a bit iffy about that because I need to kind of test some of, as I said, test around the edges of Spark to make sure that the application, like the business logic side of things still works. So, you know, if you're on a plan that has 10 projects and you want to downgrade to a plan that only has one project, like we have to restrict that. Now, I'm pretty sure Spark does have that functionality in there um, that like you can say there's like you pass it a closure and it'll say whether or not you can move to a certain plan. So, you know, we put the check inside that closure and say, okay, well, you, you've you got three projects and you're trying to move to a plan that only only allows one. So you have to go and get rid of those projects first because um, obviously we can't decide for you which ones you keep and which you used to have access to and which ones you don't. Um, but we still need to test that like once yeah, when you're in, you know, if you've only got one project and you change plans to a plan that only supports one project that you cannot still add a project, like we still need to have that kind of test in there. So it's a matter of like figuring out which bits and pieces need to be removed, changed, whatever, so that we can still test the the application behavior without testing the sort of Stripe side of, or the Spark side of things. So that's been been an adventure. Yeah, trying to figure out where that really line had the is. Brain power. Yeah, yeah. But again, it comes down to like what you said before about don't don't not writing tests to test the framework. Right. Um. You know, right. not writing don't tests test what to you test don't Spark. Own. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, but like we we kind of still have to test fairly close because like I still have to send that plan change request, um, and then you know because you had built all of the all of the stuff to test like sending the request to Stripe and and handling the responses, and you had the the like the test Stripe gateway and things like that that we don't use now because we because we're switching over to using all of the stuff that Spark provides. So figuring out how to do all that kind of stuff as well has been the fun thing. So. That's that's where I'm at with with that part of it. There's been a whole bunch of other stuff that that I've been working on in that regard. We've got some new features coming in terms of being able to manage your settings. So at the moment, you can tell on a on a task by task basis, you can say, um, "Don't don't send me an alert for this task unless it fails on three consecutive executions." So being able to manage those from within your own application. So you could you could set the settings globally for your app, like by default, do this unless I have overridden it on a task by task basis, and that would just make it easier because then you can. Uh, one of the things that we focused really hard on with Venting was making it as hands free as possible. So the installation is, if, if you've used any of the other services out there, you've got to go into the web UI, you've got to create a new like endpoint or a new monitor or whatever which gives you a URL that you then have to configure to say, okay, this thing is supposed to run every five minutes. Um, tell me if it hasn't responded within six minutes. And and that that's, you know, we wanted to get away from that because we've made it specifically for Laravel. It means that you can do, we can infer a whole bunch of things based on configurations that are sent right. to us. Like from the kernel, we yeah. know or yeah, we know already that you have scheduled this task every five minutes, which means that we expect it to check in every five minutes with an allowed grace period of 60 seconds. Um, and we allow every task to run for a minute by default. 
Um, and so because it's like that hands-free, we just, assume, you know, we make the assumptions about all of that stuff. And if you need to change it, then you come into the UI and you make the, the changes on a task-by-task task basis. But it's a bit a bit finicky to to do that, to come in, to click on a thing, to go to settings, to update and right. whatever. Right. So if you can do that all from your console kernel and just push the, the settings across, that way they're always in sync with whatever you've got in your application. And, and that way you can update the ones that you need to, do a deploy, do a sync to then ping me and it's done. So Totally. Um, that That's all, like I had that written ages ago. <laughs> Again. I remember when I, you talked I, about I've it the first the, time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd written all the client side stuff and then I went to write the 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 like the then ping me side and I was like, huh, all, all this code is already here. So I just deployed it into a staging environment and tested it. I'm like, not only is it all here, it all works. So, so I've been you know holding be really, off because I, I You know what would be really cool would be it would be really cool to have like a Gantt chart. I know like people like puke in their mouth when they hear that word, right? Gantt chart. They're like, oh gosh. But like mm. if you think about it, like if you had like a schedule of your day and a Gantt chart of when scheduled tasks kicked off and how long they took to run, that would mm. be really freaking cool. Um, and you could actually, you could probably have, I'm trying to, like, so Chrome does a great job of this or, you know, any developer tools really, like when the initial mm-hmm. request was made versus when it started getting bytes received and like whatever. So like you might have scheduled tasks that are scheduled to run every hour. But what you would end mm-hmm. up seeing is that all these tasks that were scheduled to run every hour, you have this line here, right? And here's the line mm-hmm. where they were supposed to start. But then what you're going to see mm-hmm. is you're going to see the waterfall. Task one, yeah, here to yeah. here. Task two, here to here. Yeah. Task three, here to here. Oh, five minutes kicked off. Okay, mm-hmm. you have other charts. You have other ones that are now going to start overlapping. That would be a really great visual reference because, like, I know you came up with that that graphic, which I thought was genius, like around the clock to be able to show, like, here's where you have all these tasks scheduled yeah. and they're going to overlap. Yeah. But sometimes mm-hmm. it can be difficult to visualize that, especially the waterfall effect of if you have them yeah. all scheduled to not run in background, like if you do have them just scheduled for all, all on the hour, what ends up happening is they run sequentially, not asynchronously, right? They run one after the other. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, sometimes you have jobs that are really delayed because there's this one job that you have that, that's uh, scheduled to run once a day at three o'clock, but it's a huge yeah. job and you don't have it running in the yeah, background. So like as a result, all of your other jobs are delayed, but only once a day. So like every day at three mm-hmm. o'clock, all my jobs are delayed. You guys have this thing is plat- platforms broken. No, it's not broken. It's actually not. It's that you have a task that's Correct. taking forever. Yeah. And so when you go in to see it, it's not obvious mm-hmm. how that's happening. But having a waterfall chart, I say, it, like I said, mm-hmm. Gantt chart, because that's what pops into my head. But having something like yeah, that, I think waterfall. would be pretty, would be pretty, pretty interesting. Mm. Yes, I am. Um, that is the most common support request that I have seen for <laughs> then ping me since we started it. Yeah. And it's always like right after someone configures a project or it just starts using then ping me for the first time. They say, oh, yeah, it's and not they send working a support because, request and they're like, yeah. oh, then ping me is not working. I'm like, no, 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 no. Believe it or not, it's actually, and it's, it's, it's difficult to, to, to explain that to the, the customer, the user. It's like, it's this is why we built this, actually. Yeah, the this reason, is, the, this the is why we're reporting, to, that's to why show, we built this. Yeah. 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 We're not, we're not sending false alerts. We are sending you an alert based on what is happening in your application. Um, 
and and it's there to tell you that like this is happening. And so I was I was looking the other day at at a bunch of things as I was working through some optimizations and things like that. And after I made the optimizations, I'm like, I better go and check that everything is still working for everyone. So I went and found there was one customer that like they would constantly be getting alerts. I'm like, why are they getting alerts? And it was, it was exactly that, that once, uh, I think it was like once a day, the exact same scenario as you, they had this one job that was taking, you know, 36 minutes to run, which meant that the jobs that were running within that 30 minute window at every five minutes, every 10 minutes or whatever, um, when they lined up with that job that was taking 36 minutes to run, well, the 36 minute job ran the five minute job, like the every five minute job was, was waiting to be able to start because they were not running in background. And so it was delayed a minute. And then the whole application goes into, into an alert state because it's like, well, this task is not running when it should be because it was waiting to be able to start because right. the, cause the console kernel, the, the Laravel scheduler will run the task one after the other in the order that they're defined in the kernel. So if you've got like this, this daily task that runs at three o'clock at the top of your console kernel and all the five minute tasks are after it, well, that task once a day is going to run first, then the next one, then the next one, the next one. So, um, yeah, that, <laughs> that clock chart is something that I've been like thinking about on and off for like the last year. How, how do I visualize this? How do I make it um, obvious what is happening here and how this happens? And uh, that, that seemed to be quite well received. I got yeah, it was um, very a lot cool. of feedback on that one, which is good. So, um, yeah, I hope to be able to animate that some way. I'm, I'm, I've been asked to give a talk at uh, a meetup at the end of next month. Well, this month now, geez, it's August. Um, at the end of this month, to, to sort of talk about the optimizations we went through with then ping me this this past week or so, and and like how we kind of stumbled onto that and how that is a thing that happens. Um, so to be clear, Michael's be use of the word "we" here is very generous. We meaning <laughs> Michael. <laughs> that was a great write up, by we. the way. Yeah, that was a great. That was a great write up. It is, uh, hmm. I love it. I got some good feedback on that as well. Yeah, just, that was really good. There just was a bunch like of people talking through the that. problem. So, you know, not not everyone's running a scheduled task monitoring service, and I don't think that's the takeaway here. This th- this was more about like, what do you do with your application to to account for sudden influxes of traffic, um, and. That you know, that was the thing. Like, if you're using Vapor and you want to build an application that will scale, then these are the things that you need to consider. So the limitation, the limitation on most every Laravel application, and I'm going to say Laravel specifically, but it extends to other frameworks, other languages, things like that. The limitation on most applications that are writing to a database is not going to be PHP or Laravel, or Nginx, or FPM, or any of that, it's going to be your database. And this is something that we found that that sort of started to creep up recently. Like we saw it in the early days and we kind of worked around it a little bit. And then I started to see it creeping up sort of intermittently now, where every now and then we'd get um, our task ping, like our job that handles an incoming ping, those would start to reach, um, you know, the max execution limits at max execution exceptions in in the queue 
in Laravel's queue handling on our mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. And then that cascaded into too many connections errors and and then that cascades into um, alerts being sent to, you know, our users because, hey, your task hasn't checked in, but, you know, it's us who haven't been able to process that job to tell you that, you know, to, to verify that the task has happened. So now we're sending you false alerts and that's obviously not a good thing from a monitoring perspective. So, um, and and that all came down to like, Vapor is fantastic, and 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 you know AWS Lambda is fantastic in scaling infinitely at the HTTP layer. If you suddenly get a thousand concurrent requests or ten thousand concurrent requests or whatever, then Lambda will scale up, and it will accept all of those requests, and it will charge you for all of those requests. And then it'll try and hit your database, and, and then it'll try and hit mind. your database. And then your database will go, well, I can only handle, you know, we, we've only running the smallest, like the T3 micro database because in terms of storage, in terms of process, like we're not doing anything hugely processor or memory intensive. So the smallest thing is fine. The problem with the smallest database instance is that it will only support about 85 concurrent connections. So when, um, and this happens typically at the top of the hour and at midnight, UTC, so when everyone's running their daily tasks, um, you know, over the course of the day, that becomes hundreds and hundreds of tasks all pinging in at once. And Lambda will happily go, no worries, I will give you 100 concurrent connections or, you know, whatever to serve all of those incoming pings. But the database, which you are querying for every single one of those using route model binding or, you know, subsequent checks to see that the task exists in the project, that the subscription is active, all of that kind of stuff can't can't get through to the database because the database is going i can only do 85 at a time um there are some ways around that you can use an rds proxy and that will then pull the connections at the proxy and then send them through to the database and everything will be hunky-dory in theory but we're using mysql 8 which doesn't support that so that's out of the out of the question um the fiscally irresponsible thing would be to just scale up the database but then we've got this database server that's sitting there yeah, capable of yeah. taking, you know. And so and so, what do we do? Every time we onboard a new customer, we have to review how many concurrent connections we might see over the course of a day. And then, and and then you've got to scale that database. Yeah. It's, going to be, it's going to be massively expensive because you then have to scale a database that can support the maximum number of connections that you're going to see over the day and do nothing for the rest of the day. Um, and so what, what we ended up doing is just caching the crap out of everything so every single touch point on that ping endpoint is cached now uh, at so and we, and we just throw it all into DynamoDB. um and and so any anywhere where we were running a query all of our route model binding is is all the result of cached data so we'll just put it all in we say cache forever here is the key uh return me the result of this and and go from there and uh, and and then we, the 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 number of concurrents, like because we can do this now, we can scale infinitely because we're never touching the database. Dynamo is is designed to run at any scale at at single digit millisecond response response times on reads. So anytime you sync, we take all of your tasks, we throw them at the at the cache. Uh, we update the project in the cache. Anytime your subscription changes, we throw that in the cache so that we've always got... Because these are things that are not changing often. So we can just put them in the cache and leave them there. 
if you delete a task or change a task, we'll update it or remove it and, and it can just sit there forever. And so now when the HTTP re- request comes in, rather than doing route model binding against the database, we route model bind against the result of a cache lookup. And so that returns instantly. When we check that the task exists, that, that is the result of a check against the cache. That is instant, the subscription check against the, the database, uh, sorry, against the cache as well. That's instant. And um, the only place that we had a bit of difficulty was within handling of the webhooks themselves because we take the, the request payload and throw that in the database. And like we have to do that fairly early on because if anything happens, we still need to have a record that that webhook request came in. Um, so now we will take the payload and we'll pass that along to, to the job. Um, and we have to take the payload, throw the payload in S3 and then send that to the job because sometimes the, the payloads are bigger than their allowed size for SQS. So, you know, working around all of these things to have now an endpoint where this was taking close to 300 milliseconds before, they're, they're now served in roughly half the time. So um, I'm not I'm not sure how to gauge the metrics because I think if I send a ping to the endpoint, it it takes like 800 milliseconds or whatever to start to finish. But I'm also sending it to an endpoint. This is the thing that I don't quite understand with with Vapor and, and, and CloudFront. Like it's supposed to hit an endpoint closer to me, but I'm, anyway... It's much quicker than it was. And our queue jobs that were taking like 300 milliseconds to run are now running in under 100 milliseconds. So everything's working much quicker. I've been balancing now the amount of memory that's allocated to the lambdas that, that are used to see if we can get, you know, the the cost to the speed ratio, right? Because lambda charges per millisecond and the cost scale is based on how much memory you have allocated. So I'm trying to... I'm trying to get those now lambdas just to tuning. run. Yeah. Yeah, now it's tuning. So now I'm trying to get those lambdas to run as quickly as possible with the right amount of memory so we can balance the cost that we're being charged versus like how quickly we can run them. So that's just a bit of tweaking and seeing, you know, pulling different levers and seeing, you know, what's the bill look like now kind of thing. So um yeah, it's it was it was an interesting challenge. It was fortunate the way that we had constructed all of that stuff that it was not a huge amount of work. Um, you know, just adding a few tests to make sure that the cache keys get set properly when they should. But other than that, everything kind of just just works as it should. So yeah, yeah thanks for doing all that work, man. It's uh, uh, that was a bear. It certainly that helps was a bear for sure. It certainly helps with the with the next phase of like now now that I'm confident that we can scale up, we can sort of start working more on more of these features. So I want to get the Spark stuff done. Um, want to get uh, the the task setting stuff's done, and then we can start working on new features. and And now that I'm not worried about the database falling over or right, cost exactly. out or whatever for for scaling, once we get this billing stuff sorted out, um, we can sort of start looking at the next phase of of now doing a, a bit of a marketing push and starting to get more people in because we've been running this for a for a year now, quite happily. Um, customers don't complain. Things work generally, you know, up until this last couple of weeks as we as we started to tip the scale a little bit so it'd be good to get and, and and now that the things have settled down a little bit with the kids it'd be nice to get a bit of a, a renewed push on then ping me and get some more work done on it indeed indeed well hey man this has been a good 100th episode i'd say uh a lot you know far far 
cry from what episode one was. So mm-hmm. proud to have uh, been doing this list long, and uh, here's to another hundred, eh? Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's keep at it. Let's see if we can mix things up a little bit, see if we can talk to some people. I Sounds know good. That, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the community at the moment with, with different people, and 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 it's not just different people, but it's new people as well, which is, oh, which yeah. is encouraging totally. to see. I agree. Um, there's a whole whole bunch of new names that are doing some cool things. Um, we've got next next episode. You've you've recorded an episode or an interview with Aaron Francis, who is the uh, co-host of the the Hammerstone podcast. Yep. He um, he's recently released Torchlight, which is a uh, it is a SaaS that you can. That, that does uh, syntax highlighting for you, but like good syntax highlighting. If you've ever used Prism or um, Highlight.js or anything like that, even like this, the server-side common mark stuff that you can get, it all kind of works, but they're kind of also, you know, client-side implementations and things like that that, that are trying to um, sort of build syntax highlighting on top of, you know, re-implementing syntax highlighters and and things like that. Whereas the the approach that was taken with Torchlight was to essentially make it a hosted hosted service that that handles all running all this stuff through the same syntax highlighting engine that VS Code uses. So there's a lot of work done to make sure that that's quite robust because it's part of a a code editor. So you know, getting all of that and then getting back the rendered HTML. To make that work, I, I've started playing around with it earlier today, and uh, it's super easy to get up and running. It's it's worth the, the five bucks a month to to have it doing all that stuff for you, and it and it just looks so much better and it's way more accurate. So, um, yeah, definitely check out torchlight.dev. I have a link to that in the show notes. Um, just just some cool stuff from some cool people out there in the community lately. So, it'd be nice to maybe start talking to some people about stuff because I mean you and I we we, <laughs> we we do this and we've always got something to talk about but it's it's um it's a bit same same sometimes for sure yeah no I get it I, yeah. I totally agree yep so we'll switch things up a bit stay hmm. tuned folks stay tuned All right. hey everybody thanks for uh, hanging out with us for a little bit you can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 100 or the centennial if you will. If you liked the show, please rate it up in your podcast of choice. Five stars would be much appreciated. And of course, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorna, or at North South Audio. Well, folks, until next time, we appreciate you and have a wonderful two weeks. We'll see you next time. Ciao. Bye. Bye.
awesome man well dude it's been great talking to you and uh Same good you. first podcast and so we'll we'll wrap this one up anything else you wanted to say no i think uh, i think that's pretty much it um All right. we'll uh we'll get this out onto the internet somehow somewhere and uh we'll put it out through our social networks and hopefully we get some traction with it absolutely and by the time it gets out there we will just say in advance like us rate us on itunes that's like one of those things you kind of have to say at the end of a podcast right yeah like us and rate us up on itunes give us a five-star rating i'm not sure if you get uh you would get some bonus points or something if you get a good rating i'm sure yeah, yeah i think it, it must maybe yeah it puts it higher up on the rankings i think okay all right sounds good cool. hey thanks michael thank you jake